Well, good, uh, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be back together. It's great to be part of a community of such different people, some young, some old. Um, I won't carry on. Um, one of the uh, things that we do as a, a church to encourage, um, encourage our sense of community is that we meet, meet um, together um, in small groups um, once a month on Thursdays around God's Word. Um, so if you'd like to be part of one of those groups, if you'd like to try one out, then do um, see me or John afterwards and we'd love to slot you into one of those groups um, because it is, it's nice to have a, oh, it's nice to be here in a big group, but it's nice to have an opportunity to, to chat to a few people rather than feeling you're part of a, a big crowd. Another thing we do is uh, we have a bring and share lunch um, that we have every now and then. And the, the next one of those is going to be in two weeks' time. So if you'd like to be part of that fellowship lunch, there's a sign-up sheet outside and there's a suggestion of things that you might like to bring so that we don't have everyone bringing chicken curry. So it would be great if you can be part of that. And finally, if you're part of the church here, or you uh, know and love the Lord and have been baptised, we have our communion service at three o'clock this afternoon. So that's the end of the announcements. Um, a man was asked um, by somebody who was uh, a bit sceptical about Christianity, and the, the question was asked him, so, what has your religion got that no other religion has? don't know what your answer to that question would be. But his answer was, we have an empty tomb. We have a Jesus who is risen from the dead by God's power. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. And the great thing is that the power which God used in raising from the dead is available to every one of his children. And as we come to worship God today, we're going to pray before we sing, asking God to come and help us worship him. So let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you that your word is completely reliable. We thank you that you raised Jesus from the dead. Something that has never been done by any other God. Something that scientists cannot imagine doing. And Lord, we thank you that you tell us that that power which raised Jesus from the dead is able to transform us from our sinful, selfish habits to be like Jesus. Oh Lord, we are sorry that we often turn from you. We are sorry that our sins often hinder your work. Lord, we confess them and we are thank you, thankful that you forgive us. We thank you that we don't come here because we've been good. We come because we've been forgiven. And we pray that we will know your power at work as we worship you. And we pray that we'll know you changing us to make us like Jesus. Amen. So our first song that we're going to stand and sing when the music starts is Glorying Jesus. The one, whoa, I, okay, the, I think I'm going to announce a different one. We're going to sing about how God sent his son. Oh, sorry, right, which, <laughs> it's not April the 1st. Um, let's go back to the one I was going to say. We're going to sing Glory to Jesus, the risen, conquering son, who's uh, gained that victory over death that we may know God's power in our lives. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing.
So we have uh, two Bible readings today. Um, They're both in John chapter 20, and that's on page 906 in the Church Bibles. And then after this first reading, uh, Luke's going to do the children's talk. So after I've done the reading, if you'd like to come up for the children's talk, if you're in primary school, that would be great. So, God's Word reads from John chapter 20. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were both going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So Luke's going to do the children's talk now. Good morning, everyone. Really lovely to see you. And we need a few more boys, aren't we, Harvey? We're on our own a bit down here. Anyway, so we're already in the first week of September. Can you believe this year's gone already? How fast it's gone already. Does it feel like it's gone fast? Definitely feels fast for me. So first weekend of September, so what does that mean? What's happening next week? Yeah, go on. You're going back to school. Wow, that's exciting, is it? Isn't it? No? Yeah, we're a bit indifferent, aren't we here? But yeah, we're going back to school, and so I've found a Bible verse I'd like to share with you. I don't, um, you mind flicking on the... Right, would someone like to read that verse for me? Annie, would you mind reading that, please? I pray that the God of peace will give you every good thing you need so you can attain what you want. Yeah, so that's Paul writing to the Hebrews. So he's praying that God will give him every good thing. And that's what I want for you to go to school. So I thought, when you're going to school, you have to pack your bag and get stuff ready. So what do we need to go to school? I've packed my bag. I'm not actually going to school. I'm too old. Um, But guess what is in my school bag? Have a guess. What do you need to take to school? Harvey, what do you need to take to school? Sorry? Water bottle. Bosh. Yeah, I've got got my water bottle. Lydia? Lunchbox. Yeah, all the important stuff first, isn't it? Like, get the food. Yeah, I've got my lunchbox. Katie? Yep, I should have consulted you beforehand. I haven't got any books. That's a very poor show. Good job I'm not actually going to school, isn't it? What else might you need? Yes, you definitely would need books. I've just forgotten them. Annie? Pencil case, yeah. Now, this is my actual pencil case from school. Do you guys remember these? The old classic Walker's Crisp. And Walker's actually look like this as well. And in my pencil case, I have got... What, what do you reckon I need in my pencil case? Pencil. Yeah, I've got a pencil in here somewhere, honestly. Even sharpened, I think. There's a pencil in there, yep. What else? Wow. Oh, okay. Anything else? Yeah, we've got a rubber in here. We've got quite a lot of clutter, to be honest. Compass? Inky stinky. Um, paper clips? Just you name it. I've packed my, I've packed my pencil case, so I'm quite well equipped. Anything else that I might need for school? Do you remember, though, getting pencil case and you keep it really, really nice. You get, get in, uh, on the end of the summer, you, some of you might have been shopping WH Smiths, get all your new stuff, put in your nice pencils, organise them neatly, and then after a week, your pencil case has got pictures on it and drawings and stuff like that, all dirty. Um, yeah, what else might I need? 
School uniform, I would definitely need a school uniform. I probably wouldn't put it in my bag, I'd probably put it on my, on my, on my body. But yeah, I definitely need a school uniform, that's right. And I've also got my PE kit, I put my trainers in. So, we've got all the things that we're equipped for school, so we've got everything we need for school. And what I wanted to share with you, that they're not things you can put in your bag, but things I want you to take with you. And I want you to take God's love with you to school as well this year, so we can share God's love with people and, um, and let them know what a follower, of, a friend of Jesus looks like. I want to take God's love. Can't really put that in a bag, can we? But we can take it in our hearts. What does that one say? Obedience. So, should probably be obedient, shouldn't we? We've got a few teachers in the room as well. So, we definitely want to be obedient. So, we can't pack that, but we want to be equipped with obedience, don't we? What else have we got here? What's that one? Kindness. How can we be kind at school? How can we be kind, Harvey? Pardon? Helping someone off if they've fallen over. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe sharing our things if people haven't got all the things that they need. And don't forget, we can trust in God as well, can't we? Because some of us might be a little bit nervous of going back, going back to school with new teachers, maybe new friends, maybe a new school for some of you. But we can trust God still. And so these are all things that I want you to take with you to school. So we can take God's love, God's kindness, obedience, and we can trust as well. So we can't. Well, we'll pack them in our hearts, shall we, rather than pack them in our bags, along with all your other things. So don't forget all your stuff for school tomorrow. And don't forget as well to to show people what a follower of Jesus looks like when you're at school. So before we go, can I say a quick prayer for you as we start the new school year, and then we can get back to our seats. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are ready to equip us with all that we need for everything that we have to do. And as we start a new school year, I pray that all the children will remember all the things they need to take with them, and uh, Lord, we thank you that we, have, uh, that we are able to take all the things that we need as well. And Lord, we pray as well that you, will help us to, um, that you will help us to show your love, your kindness, your patience, to be obedient and, uh, as we start this new school year. And we pray, Lord, that the kids will learn lots of, lots of interesting new things. We pray that they will have uh, good friendships and that they'll have lots of fun and they will show people what a good follower of Jesus looks like. Lord, we also pray for the the teachers and the teaching assistants and everyone who's involved at working in a school. We pray for them now, Lord, as they come to the end of their holidays too. Please give them uh, patience and wisdom and and love for the children as well. And so, Lord, we ask then that as we start this new academic year, that you will bless each of us and that, Lord, you will equip us with all the things we need for the year ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Go back to your seats. Thanks, Luke. I don't know if you have any problem in answering the question, what does God look like? Well, God sent his son to show us what he was like. And we're going to sing about him in our next song. And I I love the third line, which, which reminds us that when God came... In Jesus, as a real man, as well as being really God, he came to love, he came to heal, and he came to forgive. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing.
Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that we are all able to come to you, to come to the one who made the universe, the one who is great and glorious, yet we can come to you as Father. Oh Lord, we know you are a great king, and yet there is so much in this world that is saddening us. Oh, we know that one day, one day you're going to come and sort everything out. And we pray that your kingdom will continue to grow. Lord, we thank you for the good news that thousands of people are turning to you in China. That many, many people in Iran are are turning to you from their hopelessness and coming to trust and know you. And Lord, we, as we look at the world and we see the bad things that are going on and we realise that these wars and these famines and these diseases are all to be expected before you come, we also know that your good news will be told to every nation, every people group. And we do thank you for the news that it is spreading. And Lord, we pray that your good news will be spreading through this world. Oh Lord, we do thank you that in our universities there are many students who want to share you with those who don't know you. And we pray that as They've come back from their training that the enthusiasm will continue, that the good ideas that they've thought about and the ones that please you will be things that they do. And we pray that many young people will come to know you through the witness of the Christian unions. We thank you too that your message is not contained and that many people are going into prison to share the good news of Jesus. And we thank you that prisoners are finding forgiveness. And Lord, we pray that that work will continue and be blessed. And near to home, Lord, we thank you that over the summer there's been good opportunities for young people to hear about you on the holiday, for younger ones on camp to hear your good news, for the children and parents at Alderbrook to hear about you. Oh Lord, we're, we're glad for those opportunities, but we pray that there will be real results from it. Oh Lord, we thank you that your word tells us that your word never returns to you empty. But we long, Lord, to see lives transformed. We long to see people knowing the joy and peace which comes from being forgiven and belonging to you. And we pray that as we get back into the routine, we may know you as king in our lives. Oh Lord, we are sorry that so often we make bad choices. We try to find satisfaction in things that don't please you. We try and push our own selfish agenda. Oh Lord, you know what that looks like for each one of us. Oh Lord, we pray that you will stop us from doing it and stop us from pretending that we don't do it so that we come to you and confess our sins, knowing that you're willing and pleased to forgive our sins. Whether that's for the first time or the hundred and first time, Lord, we thank you that you are a pardoning God. And we pray that each one here will know the joy of being forgiven and free. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us to trust you. Oh, Lord, we pray that you'll help those who have medical concerns, for them or the ones they love, to trust you, to know that you're good 
and that you're in control. Oh Lord, we are glad that we're told to cast all our cares on you because you care for us. And Lord, we pray for those who are facing new things, whether they're worried about them or excited about them. We especially pray for those who are looking to leave home and go away to university. Lord, we pray that you will help them to turn to you as their helper. That they will be confident that they are able to face any challenges with your help. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll give them good friends. We pray that you'll help them to find a good church and that that will be something that helps them to grow more like Jesus. And Lord, we pray for all of us with our return to September, with the holidays over and new things to do. Lord, we pray that in our busyness and our occupation with good and right things, Lord, that our big occupation, our big thought will bring glory to Jesus by working in a way that pleases you, by looking to you and remembering you've given us the talents we have for whatever we're doing and by being willing to give a reason for our hope, to share with others the good news that there is a God who loves them, there is a God who came, there is forgiveness, there is acceptance, there is a certain hope. Oh, we pray, Lord, that that will be something that we live out in our lives. And Lord, we pray that as John teaches us from your word, that you'll really help him, that you'll give him the right words to say, words that stick in our mind, but most of all, words that move our hearts to love you and to want to change. Oh Lord, we thank you that there is proof here in the lives of your children of the change you make. And we thank you for the memory we have of Mrs. Rao and of how she knew you and loved you. And Lord, we pray for the family that as they will miss us so much, that you will give them peace and joy, that she is far better where she is now. And that's not just an an empty word, but that she is seeing the king that she loved and served, that she is knowing no more pain, no more confusion, no more suffering. And we pray for those in the family who don't know you. Lord, you, you know how much it struck me when I was a teenager who didn't know you, just to, to go to the funeral of my gran, who was clearly forever with you. And Lord, I pray that there will be those who don't know you, who want to know you, who want that certainty, who, who want to, and don't just want, but come, to know and love you and have that certainty that there is a saviour and that whatever they've done, they can be welcomed by you. Oh Lord, we thank you, it's never too late. But we pray, Lord, that you will be turning many people now. Oh Lord, there are so many different needs. Help us all to bring our own needs to you, confident that you are able to do more than we ask or even think. So do be with us, we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to read the second part of John chapter 20. Um, And we're going to be reading how people reacted to the news of the resurrection. So I'm going to be reading from verse 11 to the end of the chapter. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, 
she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold with forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, Thomas one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hand the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So we look forward to John teaching us from that chapter. But before that, we're going to sing again. And we're going to sing about our triumphant Jesus. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing. Christ triumphant, ever reigning, Saviour, Master King.
So we hit September, and uh, for many of us, it's uh, back to reality time. The holidays are behind, so many of us. I know some have still got it just in front of them, but it is behind for so many of us. The summer is over. Back to normal life with its pluses and its minuses. Autumn coming, weather changing, high cost of living here or even more on the horizon. Back to responsibility, perhaps new circumstances thrown in with a mixture of excitement and fear. And I want to encourage us to face September and forwards with an awareness of the risen Jesus. Uh, We've uh, just come back from holiday, had the the privilege of just over a week in Spain. Uh, Lots to be thankful for, Uh, many highlights, Uh, the beautiful Mediterranean coastline where we were, Uh, a walking tour through Barcelona, Meals with the family, a Barcelona friendly at New Camp, which was nicely timed midweek while we were there. Reading in the sort of pleasant shade outside the chalet. But amongst the highlights of the holiday was the first Sunday morning. We, while we were away, uh, morning and evening on the Sundays, we tried to tune in to different churches uh, connected with the family for the services. And that first Sunday morning, we, uh, we linked in with, with uh, Beth's uh, University Church and uh, the preaching was on the passage that we're looking at this morning. And it was a highlight of the holiday for me. It's very helpful and it made me want to pass on something of the content of that passage to you. So I'm using the way he divided up the passage as a framework for the way we're looking at it this morning. Uh, Next week, I'm hoping we might start a new series in Colossians, so feel free to get your nose into Colossians, that little letter in the New Testament, four chapters during the week to get ready for the weeks ahead. But this week it is a one-off on this passage in John chapter 20. The disciples had been through... A lot. They'd been through a colossal amount. The things they'd seen in the last uh, a few days and felt in the last few days with all that Jesus had gone through, enough to give them post-traumatic stress syndrome. And as they go forward, life was going to be hugely different. And we see in these verses, these, this passage affecting them in different ways. There's at least three different frames of mind that we came across as we read through the rest of John chapter 20. There were those upset, those unnerved, those unbelieving, the upset, the unnerved, the unbelieving. And as we face the future this September... Uh, especially on the back of two exceedingly strange years with all their knock-on consequences in our life and our psychology, we may well face it upset, unnerved, unbelieving. And those in this passage all encounter Christ. They encounter the risen Jesus and they find that transformational in their situation. And if you are upset unnerved or unbelieving, maybe encountering the risen Christ as we read about him and think about him in John 20 this morning, maybe a big help to you, maybe transformational to you. So we're going to go through these three different encounters. Uh, Those in home groups will look at it a bit more deeply perhaps in the week and apply it a little bit more. But we're thinking of encountering the risen Jesus firstly when weeping when weeping. So in verses 11 to 18 we have Mary Magdalene and she is weeping. You can see her mood uh, clear from the outset at the start of verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. 
There's very special visitors at the scene and uh, they notice the fact and tell us in verse 13, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? There's another tremendously important person present who she thinks is the gardener and, and he comments in verse 15, woman, why are you weeping? She so loved Jesus. Jesus had done so much for this lady. You can read about it in the Gospels. It had been heartrending for her to see him suffer. He had died. And now, to add to all her woes, she couldn't find the body of Jesus to, uh, to carry out a, a final act of devotion and dignity and kindness. And so tears well in her eyes and sorrow fills her heart. But one word seems to dispel that. Seems to change the whole scene. The supposed gardener says her name in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary... She turns to get a clearer view and she realises it's not the gardener, it's Jesus, her friend, her Lord, her teacher, her saviour. He has risen from the dead like he said he would and he is calling her name, Mary. And knowing Jesus is risen speaks into her tears. Jesus, using her name, breaks through the sorrow And it can do that. The awareness of the risen Christ. And we have tears and sadness for a whole host of reasons. Life in this broken world is hard and often heart-rending. We've had our fair share of sadnesses as a congregation over recent weeks and months. There are things that produce tears. There is grief. There are other things that produce tears. There is loneliness. There are complex and sensitive family situations. There are deep and bewildering disappointments. There there are ongoing health issues. And I know that just mentioning the word resurrection doesn't like a magic wand immediately take everything away. But so many of the reasons for upset and sadness do change, do lighten, do impart experience some dispelling in the light of the resurrection, in the light of a risen Jesus. Knowing Jesus is the Son of God, as the resurrection underlines. Knowing that he has conquered death. Knowing that he is a successful saviour. Knowing that he is alive knowing that he knows your name, knowing that he cares about you, knowing that he's personally concerned for you, these things change the situation massively. And maybe weeping and sadness seems your lot. Does the the resurrection speak into it, at least to some measure? Does it give you hope because he's defeated death? Does it comfort you to know that he is in charge and in control? Does it console you to know that he cares for you personally? We're finding each of these encounters a strong connection with going forward, with with purpose and mission. Mary wants to to cling to Jesus. 
in this scene, as understandable. She wants to sort of hold the moment of relief and security and comfort and his presence. But Jesus is not going to stay in this way. He's going to ascend to his father and she has a task to do and she must go. And Mary, this lady, is to become the first human announcer of the resurrection that the disciples will learn of the great news through Mary. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. The knowledge and awareness of the risen Jesus speaks so much into her upset, proves transformational in her upset, gives her a message and news to announce to others, encountering the risen Jesus when weeping. Well, that's that's the the first situation which we find it speaking into here. But then we can go on to a second, which is encountering the risen Jesus when afraid. When afraid. This is in verses 19 to 23 where we turn to the disciples. And uh, they are in really a self-imposed lockdown. And the reason behind it is fear. We can see that from the start of verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And they had been through so much. Um, they had fell, failed in their courage. Their hopes had seemed dashed. Um, their leader seemed gone and they were wondering if what he went through would be something that they went through and so the door is bolted and fear is written across their faces. Life had seemed so positive. It seemed as though there was such a full future in front of them. Uh, It seemed like a, a rising wave of success and it now all fallen apart and they don't know what will happen next and they haven't got their their friend and uh, teacher and Lord to steady them as they go through it. And so they're frightened and they're twitchy and they're anxious and uh, you can picture them staring at the floor with uncertainty and deep concern as they are together in that room. And I guess many of us can relate as well to fear, can't we? Um, We perhaps face the future with a, a gulp. We have a new situation, reminded of the children's talk perhaps, school or college or new responsibilities, and we're not quite sure what it will all bring. We have uncertainties hanging over us of medical treatment, of new things that we've got to do that we didn't have to do before, of a tough autumn ahead. Perhaps you find it like that. Or we perhaps find we're taken up, are we, with the the dire international situation or the troubling economic situation or the disappointing spiritual situation. And we sometimes feel almost the the chill of fear permeate through our body and we want to make ourselves safe from all the threats But then these men in their 
miserable meeting, experience the entrance of the risen Christ. He's not bound by lock and key and he finds his way amongst them and his first words to them are so powerful, so uh, soft, so comforting in verse 19, the second half. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. What a mood changer it proved to be. End of verse 20. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The words of comfort come again in verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. Peace comes through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. True, well-grounded peace. It deals with the guilt and failure of believers. It restores relationship with God. It's a peace which affects our relationship with God, our relationship with others, our relationship with ourselves. It is a peace with God which permeates, which has a wholeness about it. The word shalom is a a wholeness of peace that Jesus is speaking And the root reasons for fear are taken away. Peace through Jesus who has conquered death, who is in overall control and we find we can live with that thought. So let the peace that comes from a saviour who died and who rose again let it, let it calm your troubled hearts. Jesus said to them before he died, just a couple of chapters earlier, 14.27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. But... Jesus is not just dealing with the disciples to to comfort them. Uh, They have a role to play. They have a a mission to fulfil. And so he continues in verse 21 after saying again, peace with you. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Then he enacts what seems to be like a foretaste of of Pentecost when the Spirit would come on the church in great measure. And he tells them of the message of forgiveness which would go on to others through them, which they are to pass on. And he is sending them. So we, we can find great comfort, can't we? I hope you're finding that this morning in the resurrection of Jesus. We can find that it quells our fears. We can sometimes sing, because he lives, I can face tomorrow, because he lives, all fear is gone. But we're also part of a mission. We're not just peace enjoyers, we are peace proclaimers, peace messengers. And helped by the Holy Spirit that has been given, we can take that message of peace and forgiveness onto others. So, can you move from from fear uh, to peace uh, to mission, to telling others? Well, Perhaps that all seems a bit too simplistic. Maybe that's a bit oversimple. Perhaps put it like this. Can, can the sort of blend of um, fear, peace and mission change so that there's less fear and there's more peace and there's also an element of mission? Encountering the risen Jesus when afraid. These are good themes, aren't they? I think these are good themes. You can see why I wanted to tell you about them this morning. We've got one more. Encountering the risen Jesus 
when doubting. Uh, We read about Thomas in verses 24 to 29, and he is in a dark place. A doubt is a dark place, isn't it? Uh, Perhaps you've had patches of doubt. Perhaps you've had or are in a long tunnel of doubt. It's a dark place. He missed out on seeing Jesus that first Sunday evening. Um, He should have trusted his friend's report. After all, it's all in keeping with what Jesus said would happen, that he would rise again after death. But uh, Thomas is, is, is resolute and refusing to believe that Jesus has written. Verse 25, they report back to him that they've seen the Lord And he says to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And maybe you are in a similar place, are you, in your outlook? Those who've died can't live again. You think God doesn't exist. You think it's all wishful thinking. You think, I just believe what I can see and I can't see God. I just don't believe. Or or maybe you are a person of genuine faith in Jesus, but sometimes dark clouds come over you. And you're you're less sure and you're tempted and you're you're puzzled. Most believers do go through Periods, times, instances, patches, if you like, of doubt. Thomas encounters the risen Jesus. And what a difference it makes. It's a week later. It's Sunday again. Jesus stands among them again. Thomas is there this time. And Jesus invites Thomas to touch his wounds And his declaration of doubt is replaced by a declaration of faith. His declaration, if you like, of determined doubt is replaced by a declaration of one of the highest statements of faith. As he says in verse 28, my Lord and my God. And you know, encountering the resurrection of Jesus can have a transformational effect on our doubts. The the resurrection is the great, if you like, historic touchstone of the Christian faith. And it can break through unbelief and it can break through darkness and doubts. We're not going to get a first-hand experience, are we, like Thomas, of being able to touch the wounds of Jesus Uh, Jesus makes that clear in this account that that shouldn't have been what Thomas required. He had the reliable witnesses of those who had seen reporting to him. And these disciples who became witnesses of that resurrection are then willing to die for their belief in the resurrection. It was no cover-up. Jesus was alive. You know, people rarely give their lives for a cover-up. Charles Colson, maybe you've heard of him, he's a US lawyer, and he was involved in the cover-up of the Watergate scandal in America under President Nixon uh, a few decades ago. Afterwards, he became a Christian, and he said this of the resurrection of Jesus. Take it from one who was inside the Watergate web looking out, who saw firsthand how vulnerable a cover-up is. Nothing less than a witness as awesome as the resurrected Christ could have caused those men, the disciples, to maintain their dying whispers that Jesus is alive and Lord. The resurrection of Jesus, you see, can have a a transformational effect so that maybe we can sing as we did, no more we doubt you, glorious Prince of life. 
So whether your, your doubts are, are, are widespread and general or whether they're occasional and patchy but still chilling, allow the certainty of the resurrection, this report of the risen Jesus, speak into your situation. There may be a lot you still can't figure out and don't understand and are puzzled about, but encountering the risen Christ in his word can turn doubt to faith. Experiences the risen Jesus when doubting. And yet again, there's a bit more to this. We find that those transformed by the resurrection, the doubters, become the declarers. Uh, We see it perhaps even more starkly at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Maybe you know that at at the end of the Gospel of Matthew there is the great commission to go and to make disciples of all nations. Uh, given to the disciples. What you might not know, and what is often overlooked, is what comes just before, in verse 17 of Matthew 28. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority is in, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Those who had doubted became the messengers. The doubters become the declarers. And the resurrection of Jesus can embolden, can strengthen, can give us confidence. Those struggling with their faith then become part of those who pass on the message to others. So don't count yourself out too quickly. Don't allow the patches of doubt to set you back. Encounter the risen Christ and go forward in his mission. So we see the transforming effect, don't we, of the resurrection on the weeping, on the afraid, on the doubting, or as we can call it, on the upset, the unnerved, the unbelieving. And maybe this September you find yourself a little bit in one of those three categories. Maybe one of them particularly. Maybe a bit of dose of all three. Well, be encouraged by John 20 as we experience the risen Jesus and start to take to heart some of the transformational effects that that fact and that encounter can have transformed by the risen Jesus well we're going to sing a song now thank you to musicians um, about that day and about the resurrection to encourage our hearts in the truth of Jesus alive again it's the song come see what a morning I think if I've got that right see what a morning gloriously bright with the dawning of hope in Jerusalem folded the grave clothes tomb filled with light as the angels announce Christ is risen
Heavenly Father, we thank you for leading us into your word this morning. We thank you for the rich consolation, encouragement, uh, and strengthening and sending power we find as we read of Jesus risen from the dead. Encourage our hearts by what we've considered. Help us as we face the coming weeks and months. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. 